You can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 26 this morning. We've been in this series that we've entitled Timeless Wisdom, and we've been giving this kind of preface each, each Sunday as we've been opening the, the Word of God and opening to the book of Proverbs that we've called this Timeless Wisdom because God gives wisdom from His Word that stretches across all time barriers, right? Uh, whether it was that which was written thousands of years ago for those that were living during that time period, that day and age, or here we are, fast forward thousands of years later, God still has such relevant instruction and wisdom for us as we seek to live in a way, in a manner that is pleasing to him. And so timeless wisdom we th- felt was appropriate for uh, the series. Uh, this morning, we want to look at the, the area of the fool, as, as mentioned in the book of Proverbs. And so I've entitled the message this morning, How Not to Be a Fool. So uh, say that with me, How Not to Be a Fool. Now, if I were to just kind of poll the audience this morning and say, hey, by show of hands, how many of you say you want to be known as a fool? Um, most of us, if we're honest, are not going to raise our hand and say, yeah, count me in. I want to be known as a fool. And yet, if I asked how many of us in the past week lived in a foolish or did foolish things that would make us be known as a fool, we might see a lot more hands go up because oftentimes we separate what it is we want to be in the Lord from what we actually are uh, as we live out our daily lives. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give us five facts about the fool as found in the book of Proverbs, five facts about the fool, and then what I'd like to do is really give five points of instruction uh, to help us not to be fools as we go from here. And so I hope you'll, you'll stay logged in here with me as we go through God's word this morning. Proverbs chapter 26, beginning with verse 1. Uh, here's what's interesting. Solomon wrote much of these Proverbs. Some of them are a collection of wisdom sayings that he's put together, and he's giving instruction to his son. And the word fool comes up over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Solomon held this as a pretty important matter that he wanted to give instruction to his son regarding. But in Proverbs 26, verses 1 through 11, we have 11 verses that are dedicated to giving the reader an understanding of the fool. It's pretty important when you think about it. 31 Proverbs, and he dedicates 11 verses right here in one chapter to this area of the fool because he wants this instruction to be understood and known. So let's start there. Proverbs 26, 1 to 11. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Let's stop there for a minute. I'm not going to do this through all 11 verses. I want to stop there as we begin because here's what I want to point out. This is what's amazing to me as you look at this. He says, as snow in summer, rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Both of those examples are examples of things that don't make any sense or profitability to us during those seasons, right? So uh, I was thinking about every summer, our family likes to go on vacation to the beach if possible. We love going to the beach. We love the ocean. When we go to the beach in the summer, what do we want? We want heat. We want sunlight. We want the warmth. We want to be able to go swimming. We want to be able to enjoy it, the sand and the, and the ocean and all of that. Uh, we take pictures, you know, the kids playing and playing in the sand and playing in the water, and we look forward to it and getting into those hot temperatures. If you go south during the winter because you want to enjoy the heat and the beautiful weather down south, you make that trip. And what you're not expecting when you're on vacation, whether in the summer or to a place where there is great heat and sunlight, what you're not expecting in the midst of that is snow. Can you imagine taking vacation in the summer and going to the beach where you expect there to be heat and sunlight and sand and water and it just starts Ohio snow weather there? 
completely not profitable. It's completely not something that anyone would desire or long for. It's not anything that anybody would want. And yet that's the example that he's giving as he starts this section on the fool about honor in regards to being fitting for a fool. What is he saying here? He's saying that there's absolutely never a time that a fool is worthy of honor. Let's process that for a minute. There's no profitability of honor for the fool. That's a very strong statement that he starts off with in this section of verses. He says, like rain in the harvest. Rain is absolutely necessary and important for those things to grow. But when it's raining in a time of harvest, it's not profiting anything in a time of harvest. And, he, and he's saying, so it is with honor and the fool. Very strong statement he makes at the very beginning. Like a sparrow in its fitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. You might read that and be like, what in the world is that talking about? He's speaking about the fact that just like a bird that's flying and has no place to land, never finds a place of landing, never finds his flight complete. He's just out and he's wavering and flying and there's no point of direct completion for him. So it is with a curse, with a fool. In other words, the things that a fool says and the things that a fool would demand, the things, it, it always comes to nothing. There's never a point of, of conclusion, never a point of satisfaction. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. A fool needs constantly corrected. Answer not a fool according to his folly, verse 4, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit, beautiful picture, is a fool who repeats his folly. I mean, this is, these are very strong statements that Solomon's making in, in Proverbs 26 in regards to the fool. Uh, and here's what some conclusions are when we read this passage kind of as a a uh, foundation for our study in the book of Proverbs in regards to the fool. Here's some truths I think that we glean from this and that come out from that. One is that there's nothing desirable about the fool. Um, two, there's nothing to be gained by being a fool, and there's nothing good about association with a fool. There's nothing honorable about the fool. There's no true joy or contentment for the fool. Uh, there is nothing honorable about partnership with a fool. These are all general statements that we see right in these opening verses about the fool. There's no honor. There's nothing profitable. There's nothing desirable. There's nothing to be gained. There's no true joy. There's no true satisfaction for the fool. And so with all of those thoughts in mind, if I were to ask again, you don't need to put your hands up for this. If I were to ask again and say, hey, how many of you here today If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if Christ is your Savior, would say, my desire before God today as a follower of Christ would be to be a complete fool in my living. No one would want that. No one would say, hey, you know what my desire is? My desire is to have just a meaningless life. My desire is to never have satisfaction, never have joy, never have peace, never have a point of contentment. My desire is to destroy all those around me. My desire is to constantly be in a state of fear, wondering if evil is coming upon me. My desire is to just be a complete fool in the way that I live. 
No one wants that. No one desires that. And so I think one of the ways that we can help to avoid being fools or avoid being foolish or avoid foolish living is to have a clear understanding and recognition of what is true of the fool and have a clear recognition and understanding of how not to be a fool. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's start with these facts about fools. Number one, fact number one, they have no fear of God. The fool has no fear of God. Proverbs Chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon begins his instruction to his son, and he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in contrast to the wise, which is the one that fears the Lord, is the fool who despises wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is not in the mind or heart of the fool. There's no fear of God. Psalm 14.1, the psalmist said, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They do not believe that God even exists. They do not believe there's a point of reckoning with God coming. That is the person that the word of God labels and calls a fool or foolish. There's no fear of God before their eyes. You know, uh, from a very young age, I believe we're taught this understanding uh, from our parents of those that we have to respect and honor and those maybe that we have disrespect or uh, dishonor for, that it's not okay if we disrespect and dishonor them. And so one of, the, one of the individuals that my parents always told me growing up is that I respect is my teachers when I'm in school. And so I remember being in school and having respect for teachers, and in particular respect for teachers that were kind of no-nonsense teachers. Like, if you were messing around in class, like, they were going to deal with it, and they were going to deal with it pretty harshly. And so you knew who to mess around with and who not to mess around with. But the people that we knew we could mess around with were substitute teachers. If you're a substitute teacher in here, I'm, there's no disrespect here. I'm just telling you, when I was in elementary school and even in middle school, high school somewhat, a little bit more mature, but still not really that mature, when we would have a substitute teacher, it was like, this is going to be the time of our life, okay? And so, but only certain substitute teachers will we that way with. And so what I remember when we would find out that one of our teachers who was very strict or very stern was absent that day, uh, we would get like vibe like in the hallway, like, hey, they're not here today. We'd be like, oh, yes, they're not here. But then the next question was like, well, who's here in their place, right? And so when we would walk in the class, normally the teacher's name would be written on the board, whoever the substitute was. And if it was certain teachers that we knew as substitutes that were like genuinely just nice people, We loved that because that meant that we could do whatever we wanted within reason in the classroom and they weren't going to do anything about it. It's terrible that that happens and it probably happens still today, I'm assuming, okay? And if you're a substitute teacher, be stern, be angry and kids will respect you, but don't be kind, whatever you do, okay? And so these teachers would come in, their name would be written on the board if we know it was Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so and they were like gentle and they were kind and they were compassionate, they were like Christian. We would, we would be like, All bets are off. We could do whatever we want to do in that classroom because we had no respect, which is wrong, and that shouldn't be the case, but it was. We had no fear of that teacher. We had no respect for that teacher. We had no honor for that teacher because we felt like they weren't going to do anything about anything that we did that day. And most of the time, we were right. They didn't. Now, the ones that did, we we honored, we listened to. And here's unfortunately what's the case for so many people walking this earth today and maybe is the case for some of you that are in this room today. 
You, they, don't have a fear of God. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of God in regards to God's sovereignty, God's power, God's authority, God's knowledge. There's no fear of God that he alone is God. There's no fear of God that there will be a day of reckoning with God. There will be a day of accountability before God. There's no fear of God. And if you're here today and you have no fear of God, that God is the one that is to be revered and honored, that God is the one that is to be worshipped, that God is the one who truly is in control of all things, that God is the one that we answer to, that God is the one who is deserving of all glory and honor and all of that, if you have no fear of God today, the Word of God says you are a fool. And that's true of of so many in our world that we find ourselves living in. I want to read to you a passage that's found in Romans chapter 3. Listen to this. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, Paul the Apostle writes this. He's talking about no one being righteous in the sight of God. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You read that passage and it's like, man, that's encouraging, isn't it? He says, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one does anything good. No one seeks anything good. No one seeks after God. No one will seek after God. No one will honor God. You and I can do absolutely nothing that is favorable in God's sight. We have nothing to offer to God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Everybody is gone. Everybody is deserving of punishment. There's none. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. Look at it, verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What he shares in verse uh, 11 and following, when he says, as is is written, he's sharing from Psalm 14, 1. The same passage, there's no fear of God, there is no God, the fool says. He goes on to share in Psalm 14, where he speaks about the life, the very living and life of the one that does not fear God, which is the life and living of what God says is the fool. There's no fear of God. Their lips are poisonous. They're swift to run to evil. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, God's word tells us that that is every human being walking the face of this earth apart from Christ. You and I can't earn favor with God. We can't do enough good or give enough money or go to church enough to say to God, God, I deserve your grace and your love and your forgiveness. That's what the fool thinks. Because there's none righteous. Not you, not me. No one in our family. No one does enough good. No one. Especially not me. And this is what he says. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're a fool. Why? Look at verse 19. Don't stop in verse 18. Look at verse 19, Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to who? To God. The whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, 
since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know what Paul lays out very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20? He lays out very similarly what the psalmist said in Psalm 14, what Solomon is instructing his son in the book of Proverbs. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no fear of God before their eyes because they do not recognize that they will be held accountable to God Almighty. Every person in this room needs to hear this morning. There will come a day when you will give an account before God. And there is absolutely nothing you or I can do on our own power, strength, or merits to earn the forgiveness and favor of God. But that is why the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful, necessary, and important. Because it's through the one time sufficient sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that the fool who said there is no God, that the fool that is deserving of condemnation and the wrath of God can be made righteous through faith alone in Christ alone by the grace of God alone. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The only means or way for the fool to know God, to fear God, to obey God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is a work of God, not the work of man. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Facts about fools. Fact number one, they have no fear of God. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you're living in a manner that would show I have no fear of God. I have no reverential respect. I have no healthy fear. I have no acknowledgement, respect, and honor for Almighty God. I'm living how I want to live, and you would claim to be a follower of Christ. You are showing in your actions that you are disobeying and living the life of a fool. Because the fool says there is no fear of God. There is no God. There's no accountability. Number two, they not only have no fear of God, but secondly, they have no filter on their tongue. No filter on their tongue. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about the area of gossip and the area of our speech. But I want to just reiterate this again because God shows this so many times throughout his word that the fool has no filter on his tongue. Proverbs 10.14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin. Proverbs 10.18 says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. One of my personal favorites, Proverbs 18 Verses 6 and 7 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Isn't that a great verse? Uh, You've heard people say like, Oh man, that guy's asking for it. I think it might come from this. His mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. The fool does not have any kind of filter on his tongue. He says what he wants to say, and he gives no care or thought for what it might cause or what might happen as a result. When I was reading this in Proverbs chapter 18, 6 and 7, What came to my mind, and largely because of what's been in the news recently about the return of Mike Tyson fighting. I don't know how many of you uh, even knew about that, but Mike Tyson, who used to fight back in the 90s, um, he had an exhibition match where he fought someone recently, boxing match, and it got back into shape, and he looked like he was in good fighting shape, and and he had this boxing match. I think it went to a draw, but this verse made me immediately think back to 1995. 
Uh, I was 14 years old. In 1995, Mike Tyson was making his comeback after he was away from the sport of boxing for four years, and he was fighting a guy by the name of Peter McNeely. Some of you might remember this, but Peter McNeely, his nickname was The Hurricane. And Peter McNeely was a trash talker, a very arrogant, boastful guy. He was 36-1. and one was his professional record when he was entering into this fight with Mike Tyson. 36-1, and one, which is an incredible record. Big guy. And in 1995, Peter McNeely was at a press conference with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's sitting there looking like his angry self, sitting there just looking like he would like just, just destroy you, bite your ear off. He, that's what he looked like. And Peter McNeely's there, and he's at the press conference, and he wrote a poem talking about what he was going to do to Mike Tyson and how he was going to basically just knock Mike Tyson out and how he was going to just completely demolish Mike Tyson in this fight. And the whole time Peter McNeely talked, talked for a long time, and I believe Mike Tyson spoke for 18 seconds at that press conference. Just, he was pretty angry Mike, they called him, right? And so that fight came, and Peter McNeely, just the trash-talking Peter McNeely, so arrogant, a funny guy, though, to listen to him, uh, entered into the ring against Mike Tyson in 1995, and in, within 10 seconds, Mike Tyson dropped him to the mat when he hit him. McNeely got up, and the fight lasted a total of 1 minute 19 seconds before he was dropped a final time to the mat, and the fight was called, and it was over. And Mike Tyson utterly destroyed Peter trash-talking Hurricane McNeely uh, just so quickly. And people mocked Peter McNeely and made fun of him, and they mocked his trash-talking, mocked all the things he said, and they said that just made Tyson angrier, and literally what he did is his foolish mouth invited a beating that he then took. Now, it was like a $700,000 beating because he made like $700,000 for a minute 19 seconds, um, which I, I would do that, I think. I think I would get in the ring. But, but the point being is that this proverb was like lived out in real life, and people can still look back and see the trash talking, inviting of a beating, and then the beating that took place. It's funny when we think about how that happens to someone like Peter McNeely, who's out in the public view and makes a fool of himself. It's less funny when it's true of our own lives. And yet, how many times, even as believers in Jesus Christ, do we put a a limited or zero filter on our tongue in the words that we speak, and there is heartache, pain, maybe not a beating, but something that is not profitable that happens in our lives because we live and act like a fool in our words. Ecclesiastes 5.3, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, a fool's voice is known by his many words. The fool has no fear of God, and they also have no filter on their tongue. Number three, the fool refuses to hear correction and advice. The fool refuses to hear correction and advice. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Again, there's a contrast here between the one who lives wisely, the one that's considered to be wise, and the one who is a fool, the one who is living foolishly. The wise listens to correction and advice. The way of a fool is to disregard that. The way of a fool is, hey, listen, everything I say, everything I do, everything that I think is right all the time. And I refuse to acknowledge or even consider the fact that I might be wrong. So he says, the fool refuses to hear advice because the wise hear advice. The fool refuses to hear advice. In Proverbs 15, 5, it says, a fool despises his father's instruction, 
But whoever heeds reproof is prudent. A fool despises his father's instruction. Now this is particularly important because who is Solomon even specifically talking about when he writes that? He's talking about his son and the necessity of his son to not despise his, Solomon's, instruction that he's giving to his son. Now, we could say Solomon would be like really foolish to ignore the wisest man that Scripture speaks of, apart from Christ that walked this earth, Solomon, for Solomon's son to disregard his instruction and his wisdom. Because he wasn't going to hear wisdom to a greater extent from anyone else other than the Lord than Solomon at this point. Solomon tells his son, don't despise your father's instruction, because if you do, you're a fool. But whoever heeds reproof is prudent. The one that listens and can be corrected is prudent, is wise. You know, when I read this verse about despising father's instruction, I was thinking about this and thinking about how much in my own life do I disregard or, or times I've disregarded wise counsel or times that I've disregarded even specifically instruction. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, one of the things I remember my parents told me regularly was, before you cross the road, do what? What are, you t- what are you supposed to do before you cross the road? Say it loud. Look both ways, right? How many of you have ever been told that? Someone's told you that. All of you have been told that. If you have been told that, I'll tell you, right, look both ways before you cross the street. Okay, so you've all been told that. But we've been told that from like the time we're like really young. Like before you cross the street, look both ways, right? We've always been told that. I tell my kids that. Not that they're crossing any streets, but I want them to know that. Like if you're going to cross the street, look both ways. It's like inherent. You just tell people that. So I remember when I was in elementary school, I got this brand new bicycle. It was a BMX, like, racing bike. It was really sweet. It had all these neat, neat decals on it, and uh, it had um, a three-piece crank. I don't know if you know what that is. You were in the bikes back when you were, like, kids. Three-piece crank was, like, yes, because that was going to make it go, like, you're going to go fast, at least in your mind. You're going to go faster. It was a little bit more pricey, but it was, like, worth it. And I had this sweet racing bike, BMX racing bike, and I got it, and I couldn't wait to just go crazy with this thing. And across the street from where I lived from our driveway was a neighbor's driveway, paved driveway that was really long. And all the kids used to go over to the neighbor's driveway over there, and they would ride their bikes because there was a real long stretch in the driveway where you could just ride real fast, and then you'd come to a stop before you'd hit the, the uh, road, okay? And so I remember that day that I had my bike, and I was riding. I was getting frustrated because I just wanted to, I just wanted to just, there was something that would have been really cool and, like, exhilarating about not stopping when I get to the road and just going straight through the road into my driveway and going. There was something about that. I was like, man, that would be so awesome to do that. I just... The problem was when you were in the driveway and you're racing your bike, you can't see if there's any cars coming down the road until like maybe 10, 15 feet before you hit the road, that there's a car actually coming there. And it wasn't a busy road, and there was normally never cars. So like I was doing this. I was riding my bike, and I kept looking. Every time I rode my bike, I looked, and like, there's no cars. There's no cars, no cars. I forget how many times I counted. And so I was like, that's it. I'm not stopping. And I thought, I'm not looking. I'm just going to go. So I went to the back of the driveway. And I'm riding my bicycle, and I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm not stopping. There's no way there's going to be a car coming. I think you know where this is going. And, and, and so I'm going, and I'm huffing and puffing. I probably wasn't going real fast. I felt like I was. And, and I'm coming to the end, and as I'm getting ready to get to the road, there's a car. And the car's coming. And it was one of those things, like in movies, when it's slow motion, like where you see people's faces, like they look, and they're like, ah, you know, and they do that. And, and I'm coming, and as I'm coming to the end of the driveway, I had the handlebar brakes um, that had to stop the, the, the brakes there. And I'm coming in, and I slam on those brakes, and my bike almost flipped over forward 
and I lean back, and, I'm, and now I'm going forward, and I didn't flip the bike all the way, but as I'm going forward, and I'm coming to a stop, I'm skidding to a stop in that driveway, and I start to skid into the road, and the car comes to a complete stop, slams on the brakes, come to a complete stop, and I get that slow motion feeling of when you're going, and it's like, no, and the car's looking at me, and the guy's like, you shoot it, like, and, and I come to a stop, and they look at me, and they look at my eyes, and I, I stopped, and I went, go ahead, like, like, is that, what's the problem, right? What's the problem? Just go. You know, I was stopping anyhow. And I remember the thought process that went through my head at that moment. The first thing I was afraid of was I was thinking, please, I hope my dad was not outside and didn't see me do that. Because he has told me a thousand times, look both ways before. I would, should never do that. I knew better. I knew better. I didn't want to be seen doing something that would have been, I would have been, it was foolish for me to do that. Now, I praise God, I like was kept safe. The driver was kept safe. No one was killed that day from that. But it was one of those situations where the words of my dad echoed in my head when that happened. Look both ways before you cross the road. Something so simple, something so just simple that everyone should listen to and it would be foolish not to. And I thought of that story when I thought about the fool despising his father's instruction. Not because that's like a life-changing, life-altering story or something so significant of wisdom, but because I thought about that and thought, how many times have I been instructed, whether from my parents or from others that have wise counsel to give? I've been warned. I've been told. If you're in a relationship today, how many times have you been told about your relationships that you're in, about the right person to be with and the person not to be with? If you're in a work environment or doing work and you've been told about wisdom and what to look for, if it's in purchases, if it's with your finances, if it's with whatever it may be, how many times have we been given wise counsel and our response to it is, I just know better this time. You see, it's the fool that despises instruction. It's the fool that refuses to hear correction and advice. And maybe you find yourself today just inundated because of foolish thinking or foolish decisions and you're like, man, I need a way out. Can I encourage you? Don't be a fool. Listen to wise advice and wise counsel. The fool has no fear of God. The fool refuses to listen to correction and advice. The fool has no filter on their tongue. Number four, the fool delights in their foolishness. The fool delights in their foolishness. This is something that's kind of crazy to think about. That the fool delights in their foolishness. They love their foolishness. They love their folly. That in and of itself is just like a tragic statement. Proverbs 13, 16 says, In everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. I mean, if there's a statement that could be made about our culture and the, the, the environment we find ourselves living in today, it is the foolish flaunting their folly. And oftentimes, we're guilty of that. There's a delight in the foolishness that's there. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Just in case you missed that at the beginning, I wanted to give you that verse again. A dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that returns to his folly or repeats his folly. Why? Why would he return to it? Why would he repeat it? Because he delights in it. Friends, if you're here this morning as a follower of Christ and you find yourself repeating foolishness and folly and sin again and again and again, you're living as a fool today. Because that's what a fool does. 
He repeats his folly. He returns again and again and again. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Fools mock at making amends for sin. Fools mock at repentance. Fools mock at the idea or the concept of forgiveness and seeking forgiveness. Fools mock at the idea or concept of making wrongs right because they delight in their wrongs. They pursue their wrongs. They want those wrongs. And they return again and again and again. They delight in their foolishness. Fools delight in their foolishness. And then number five, fools have a negative impact on others. Fools have a negative impact on others. In Proverbs 26.4, we read this at the outset, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I want you to think about that for a moment. Those two verses that I think are so important. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If we are not on our guard, if we are not surrounding ourselves with those that are walking wisely, but instead with those that are foolish, those that are pursuing foolish things and speaking foolish things and acting foolishly, then we ourselves will be like them. I I remember when I was in Bible college, I was in, oh, I think it was my sophomore year. In particular, I remember that year when I would come home from break, I worked at this uh, warehouse, shipping warehouse, where sometimes I would be working with a welder there and doing some welding with them. Sometimes I would be working with uh, a forklift and and, and moving things and shipping. And sometimes I'd be working with loading up um, steel for uh, furniture that we had there. And it was a a dirty job and it was a hard job. And I worked 12-hour days because I was helping as far as going through school. And I remember the men that I worked with there, these these were men that uh, I don't know that I've ever had the privilege of hearing the kind of language as frequently as I did when I worked in that environment. And it was one of those things that, as you can imagine, they asked me what I was going to school for, and when I told them I was studying to be a pastor, um, it was like, okay, let's magnify this, because they would come to me and purposely, I know they couldn't have said the words they said on a normal basis as much as they did unless they were in my presence, because they were doing it on purpose. And so the words that they were using, the language that they were using, and the stories that they were telling, and the things, it was all to try to get me to offend, or offend me and all this other stuff. And that happened for the first, you know, few weeks, and then eventually it ended because we kind of had a, a respect for each other, and we worked together, and everything was fine after that. But I remember during that time period coming home after 12 hours of work in that environment, and the words that were in my head, and the words even sometimes that I would want to speak were reflective of the environment that I was around for 12 hours a day, five days a week, that were constantly filling my head. And if I was not on my guard and watching my speech and watching my words, those words would come out. Because I was completely consumed in that environment and everything that was going on in that environment. And that was when I was a a 19-year-old putting myself in an environment that was completely surrounded by those that were not believers in Christ. They were those that were uh, made that known, and they wanted me to know that. And I was in an environment constantly, and how refreshing it was when I had an opportunity to be in an environment around people who knew Christ and spoke of Christ and belonged to Christ. But it was interesting because God really brought conviction to my heart about the necessity that I needed to have as far as my mindset that when I'm in that environment with those people is not to avoid, not to refuse to talk to, not to try to shut them out, but to minister, to be a testimony for Christ, to share the gospel of Christ, 
to be someone who would be ministering to them how Christ would want me to minister to them. And so when we talk about the fool having a negative impact on others, it maybe should be said the fool can have a negative impact on others. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, who is to be sharing the gospel with those that are lost, as a believer in Christ, who is to be sharing the gospel with those that do not know God, we are going to find ourselves in environments and at times with people who have rejected God and do not know God, and our responsibility is not to avoid them but to proclaim the goodness of God to them, to proclaim the righteousness of God to them, to proclaim the forgiveness that is offered through Christ to them and to one another. You know, it's easy for us to only chalk up foolish living to the unbeliever, but it's sad that that is so often prevalent in the life of the believer as well. We are not guiltless as a believer in Christ when it comes to living and walking like a fool. We are all guilty so many times of living as a fool. But that is why today and every day we give thanks and praise God for his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we need him every day. We need him every day. We need God's forgiveness and mercy and grace every day. That's why the psalmist could praise God and say, your mercies are new every morning, God, because your faithfulness is great. Fools can have a negative impact on others, but we should be having an impact on those that do not know God. So we need to have a balance there. Five facts about the fool. They have no fear of God. They have no filter on their tongue. They refuse to hear correction and advice. They delight in their foolishness, and they have a negative impact on others. So let me give you five quick encouragements on how not to be a fool this morning. If you go from here and say, man, I don't want to be a fool. What do I need to do? Let me share with you five suggestions here on how not to be a fool. Suggestion number one, fear God and keep his word. Fear God and keep his word. If you and I as believers in Christ truly know Christ, if we truly know him, we will fear God and we will keep his word. When we do that, we will walk and live wisely. We will honor him, and others will see that, and he'll be glorified. Fear God and keep his word. That means that when we know God's word says something about an issue or an area of our life that we disagree with, we obey God's word and not ourselves. And that means when those debates happen in our mind as we try to justify sin or try to justify what we want to do when we know what God wants us to do, out of fear and reverence of God Almighty and out of a desire to honor him and follow his word, we honor him and follow his word. We live wisely. Now, I'm going to give four more suggestions, but all four of the next suggestions all hinge on that number one point of fearing God and keeping his word. If we fear God, we will keep his word. If we keep his word, we will walk wisely. Fear God, keep his word. Can I just encourage you with something? You can't keep what you don't know. And so this is why there's an absolute necessity for every believer in Christ to be in the word of God, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to hide God's word in our heart, to fear him, and to keep his word. We have to know his word. And so I want to encourage you, spend time in the word of God and do what God says. 
That's the number one way to not be a fool. (laughs) Fear God and keep his word. Number two, put a filter on your tongue by watching your words. Watch your words. Now, this might be something, I already do that. Well, do you? Do I? If I look back at the words that I speak in any given day, can I look back and say, you know what, probably shouldn't have said that. That's every day. We need to watch our words. We need to put a filter on our words. We need to think through what we're going to say. We need to think before we speak. We need to ask, is this going to edify? Is this going to build up? Is this going to honor God? Is this going to glorify God? We need to watch our words. Why? Because the fool has no filter. So we need to fear God and keep his word, and we need to watch our words. The words that we speak, the things that we say, our conversation with others must honor him and be things that would show that we are living wisely and not foolishly. Number three, listen to wise advice. Listen to wise advice. The fool disregards wise advice and counsel. The one who lives wisely will listen to wise advice. And even to go a step further than this, not only listen to wise advice, but seek out wise advice. If you're struggling in an area, if you're trying to make a decision, if you don't know what the right or wise thing to do is, seek out wise counsel and listen to it. Follow it. Listen to wise advice and to wise counsel. The fool will not, but the one who does not want to be a fool should. Number four, deal with today's sin today. Deal with today's sin today. As we've already read about the fool, the fool delights in their foolishness. The fool mocks at making amends for sin, God's word says. But the one who is not a fool will deal with today's sin today. That means confession. That means repentance That means turning from sin and making right relationships that are wrong. Deal with today's sin today and not be a fool. Number five, walk with the wise. Surround yourself with those that will impact you with wisdom. Surround yourself with those that will impact you towards godliness. And there's plenty of people that would desire to to surround you with wisdom and to impact you with godliness and with God's word. Seek that out. How not to be a fool? Fear God and keep his word. Watch your words, listen to wise advice, deal with today's sin today, and walk with the wise. If we do these things, we can look at our living and look at our life that at that point hopefully will be honoring God and avoiding foolishness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the instruction from your word. I pray that you would help each one of us as your children this morning to walk wisely and not foolishly. I pray if there's anyone here today that it would be true of them, Lord, that they have no fear of God in their eyes, that they don't know you, that today you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, that they would trust in Christ, repent of sin, and believe and be saved. I pray that you would stir within each one of us a desire for obedience, that we might glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.